John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you are my friends, if you do what I can, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, tonight we come to the end of our Lenten reflections on Jesus' teaching about abiding and, and going. And uh, the last two verses are really a summary of what the whole passage has been about. In verse 16, I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Uh, and we've been asking, well, what does that mean to abide in the vine? What what really are we talking about there? And and we've seen that Jesus is the divine source of life. Uh, We're connected to him as a vine is connected to a branch, just as a branch draws life from the vine. So we draw lives from Jesus and our lives become more fruitful and meaningful and rewarding and impacting as we abide in the vine. But how do you actually do that? Uh, apparently abiding is not automatic because one, Jesus commands it, abide in me. And he also warns, if you don't abide, this is what will happen. So abiding is not automatic. There are some choices that we have to make in order to abide. Um, One of the ways that we can grow in our abiding relationship with Christ is through spiritual practices. Certain spiritual practices prepare us for a life of abiding. A fruitful life doesn't just happen. It happens when we 
cultivating an abiding relationship with him. And I was thinking of how to illustrate this. And one of my bucket list dreams has been, uh, for, for a number of years, uh, swimming a 10K ocean race. It's something I've always wanted to do. And uh, the problem is they're usually in faraway places and they cost a lot. And so I was kind of writing that off of my bucket list. And then our dear daughter, Bryden, who flies a lot for work, came to us a while ago and said, We're, I'm going to give you my air miles and fly both of you to Bermuda uh, on October 13th. And I will attempt uh, my first and probably my last um, 10K race. And yeah, so pray for that. Um, there you might be looking for a new pastor. If it does. <laughs> now, I'll, thank you, Alfred. I will. Four things can go wrong in the three and a half hours that you're in the ocean. You can cramp. You can run into another swimmer. You can run into a sea critter. Or you can run out of gas before the end of the race, which is not good. So my goal is to finish without injury. How do I prepare uh, to finish without injury? I practice. And so uh, I am increasing the number of practices that I'm doing. I've added one uh, this week, and I'll add another one uh, in late summer. I have a coach, and we're working together uh, to, to be intentional so I could finish well. The same is true in our spiritual life. Life is like a long endurance race. Many things can go wrong. Not everyone finishes well. And abiding is the key to persevering. So there are certain practices that help prepare us to finish the race well. One of those practices Matt has already done a great job of talking to us about. It's liturgy. Uh, we're formed all week long by the liturgy of our phone and the mall and, the, and all these other things. And so during worship, we come away and try to be shaped by another liturgy, by another kingdom. Another spiritual practice that helps us abide is contemplative prayer. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to teach you how to pray contemplatively. Um, I know it's not new for all of you, but it is for some of you. And contemplative prayer is a way that we abide in Christ and take that abiding out into the world. It, it, we start with a couple of assumptions, and, and this is really important to all prayer, but particularly to contemplative prayer. We start with the belief that we are in Christ, that we are the vine, he is the branches, that as uh, Galatians 2.20, Christ is in us as we are in Christ, John 14, I am in the Father, you are in me, I am in you, Colossians 3.1, because you have died, the life you now have is hidden with Christ in God, Christ is your life, we could go on and on. And that's very important because what we're saying is that you already have the life of Christ in you. And so contemplative prayer is not climbing a ladder so that you can find it somewhere. It's about discovering what's already there. See the difference? Thomas Merton, late in life, after a lifetime of prayer, he said, in prayer we realize what we already have. You start from where you are and you deepen what you already have. Everything has been given to us in Christ. All we need is to experience what we already possess. 
Now, there are many different ways to talk about this, many good books to read on it. I'm just going to share with you kind of the way that I practice contemplative prayer. And I'm going to try to be very practical and and give you several steps. Uh, The first one is, if we could put the, the slide up, find a quiet space. And I know if you're a young parent, uh, other, other seasons of life, if you have 18 roommates or things like that, this can be hard to do. But silence is the key to this kind of prayer. Uh, St. Augustine said that we have a higher part of our mind reserved for contemplation and a lower part of our mind that, that reasons. And the, the Desert Fathers called the higher part the heart. And what they found was that the heart communes with God in a silent and direct way that the rational mind does not. So there are different ways to commune with God. This part of us communes with God through silence. So find a quiet place. Then sit in a comfortable but not sleepy position. Now, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. If you're tired, take a nap. Especially if you're a young parent or suffering physically. That may be a very holy thing. But napping is not praying necessarily. (laughs) Uh, Our body is interwoven with our souls. And so our posture is important when we pray. In C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, a young demon in training, Wormwood, is being taught by his uncle Screwtape on how to keep Christians from praying. And Screwtape writes, My dear Wormwood, at the very least, humans can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference in their prayers, for they constantly forget that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. (laughs) So I find that a a chair with a firm back um, that kind of keeps me upright works well. A snuggly couch with popcorn does not. Um, Set a timer. I just use the one on my phone. Uh, I find that it is very helpful to do this because particularly if you're just starting out, you you start to wonder how, my my gosh, this is taking forever. Have I been here four hours or how long? Uh, And it's helpful to not have to worry about the time. Uh, Beginners should start perhaps with five minutes. That's a good place to start. Uh, I find that 20 to 30 minutes is kind of ideal for me when I have the time, but I've been doing it for a long time. Read the verse, read a verse three times. Read a verse of scripture three times. Now, I find it helpful to read scripture when I begin to pray. Remember, Jesus is the word. Abiding is abiding in the word. It's the Greek word Logos, which refers to the creative word, the ever-revealing, ever-speaking, ever-redeeming power of the Godhead. John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was God, all things were made through Him. So I find that abiding in the Word can greatly be assisted by starting with a scripture and, and reading it several times. Uh, I see that as kind of like stretching or warming up the muscles of the spiritual heart, uh, kind of like booting up your computer. Then select a prayer word. Uh, After you read the text three times, 
choose a word or it could be a phrase that stands out to you. And remember that contemplative prayer is not inductive Bible study. Uh, It's fun to study biblical words. It's helpful. That's not what we're doing here. We're not studying, put the dictionaries down. You are just choosing the word that connects with your spirit, the word or phrase. Then, breathe the word in prayer. Join the word with your breath. Uh, The Desert Fathers were the first to really write about this, and and they found that this was a very helpful way to unite your soul to God. Uh, One father wrote a book called Those Who Practice the Life of Stillness, and he says breath prayers are very helpful for beginners particularly, That is why some teachers recommend that beginners pay attention to the exhalation and inhalation of their breath so that while they are watching it, the intellect may be held in check. Linking the word to your breath helps you overcome the busyness of your mind and it helps you get centered in Christ. During Lent, my word has been either abide or abide and go. And so I'll sit down, I'll set my timer, I sit in my chair, and I will breathe in, abide, I'll breathe out, go. Breathe in, abide, breathe out, go. And so scripture, the living word, just starts to flow through you throughout the prayer. Then write down recurring thoughts. Uh, Now, one of the first things that will happen when you start to pray is all sorts of thoughts will come racing through your mind. And it's interesting, in some of the books that I've read, uh, the first thing they say is just quickly get rid of them. Just don't pay attention to them. Keep going to Christ. And uh, that's one way to think about it. I have come to believe that since the Holy Spirit is praying through us, that the thoughts that come up as I go deep are prayers. And so if Sandy comes to mind... I just say, Lord, I give you Sandy. If my daughter comes to mind, I say, Lord, I give you Ashton or or whatever. And then sometimes I find the deeper I go into the stillness of Christ, the more creative ideas come or maybe even direction and counsel comes. And I get this idea, you know, you really need to, to call Scott and talk to him about a project. And what I do is I keep a journal next to me and I just write down Scott and I go back to pray. The reason why I do that is if I don't, the rest of my 20 minutes, I'm thinking, don't forget to call Scott. <laughs> so it helps me to, to let, it, let it go. Then sink into the stillness. And the stillness is Christ in you. The presence of Christ in you. Um, You might think of it like a river, like you're going, you're submerging beneath a river. And as these thoughts keep coming into your head, uh, they're like wood floating on the surface of the river. And, And you just give them back to God. You let them float away. And you keep sinking into the stillness of God, sinking beneath the river. When Jesus met a young leader, a successful rich man, Mark says, Jesus looked steadily at him and he was filled with love for him. And so what we're trying to do in contemplative prayer is gaze upon 
the loving face of Jesus. See, this is not about intercession. There's no work here. This is not about asking for things. This is not about working out theological problems. This is about gazing at the gaze of Christ. That's all it is. It's sitting in the gaze of Christ. John of the Cross said this. He said, preserve a loving attentiveness to God with no desire to feel or understand any particular thing concerning God. The goal is not to learn something new, to wrestle with a theological problem, to pray for your your children. The goal is simply to sit before the gaze of the loving Christ. Be patient. It's very hard to learn how to do anything new, whether it's French or cooking. Um, If you've never done this before, Five minutes of prayer will be quite a challenge. Uh, You can learn it. You will learn it. Usually it takes doing it every day for 30 days for it to become a habit. But be very patient with yourself and and lower your expectations. Uh, If you read about the mystics and contemplative prayer, you read incredible stories. And there are times when when you might have a life-changing encounter with God or a profound insight or a long-repressed emotion comes up. But more often than not, contemplative prayer just leads to a little more peace. That's all. A little deeper sense of walking with Christ that'll kind of go with you the rest of the day and shape the way that you respond to the crises that come up. And then lastly, go and bear fruit. Um, I've read some books on contemplative prayer that are so focused on abiding that they don't emphasize going. And one of the things that I think you'll find as you start to do this is your abiding will inform your going. Your ministry, your mission, your calling, your dreams will start to flow out of the time that you spend in prayer. If you'd like to learn more about contemplative prayer, Um, Here's a book that I I recommend, uh, Into the Silent Land, A Guide to the Christian Practice of Contemplation. It's one of my Lenten readings this year. It's it's a good introduction. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to apply this in just a moment. Um, But I wanted to end by talking about the benefits of contemplative prayer. And uh, the first one for me, and I think for most people, is it helps me abide with Christ for the rest of the day. When I begin the day in contemplative prayer, I find that I'm less reactive to the challenges of the day. And in his book, Laird uses an illustration of Mount Zion and the clouds, the weather patterns that are always circling Mount Zion. And he said, the the weather patterns are changing all the time but the mountain stays the same. And he says in our spiritual lives, sometimes we mistake the weather patterns of changing circumstances and emotions as us, but we're the mountain. And the weather pattern of circumstances and emotions can change all the time, but that's not who we are. We're the mountain. That's who we are in Christ. And what I find is the more I practice contemplative prayer, 
the easier it is later in the day when the weather pattern changes emotionally or circumstantially for me to step back and realize, you know, this is kind of hard right now. It's kind of raining. It's kind of storming. It's kind of blowing. But that's really not who I am. I'm the mountain, and this weather will change. So contemplative prayer can help, help us there. Secondly, contemplative prayer is especially helpful for Christians going through a deconstruction and reconstruction process. One of the things I find when you're going through, when you've deconstructed your faith and you're trying to put it back together again, a lot of times uh, theological and intellectual problems are real barriers to your faith. And it can be hard to pray because every time you pray, you have this big question about the sovereignty of God or, or all of that. Well, in contemplative prayer, it's not cognitive. It's not solving a theological riddle and doesn't require to do that. It's simply being with the loving gaze of Christ. And so this is a wonderful practice if you're on a reconstruction path in your faith. And then last, contemplative prayer is very helpful for anyone who struggles with anxiety. Uh, The simple act of slowing down, stilling the mind, breathing God's word in and out, and releasing our cares to him brings us peace. So I, I want to give you an opportunity now to practice for five minutes. And if, uh, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. You can just enjoy five minutes of quiet. Of course, this is totally up to you. But if we could put the slide of the scripture, I'm just, just for tonight, this is a wonderful summary of what Christ did for us this week. And so I'm going to read it three times. And I want you to pay attention uh, to the word that strikes you. Then I'm going to start the timer. Uh, I'm going to start the timer after we read it. I'm going to give you five minutes to breathe the word in and out. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
Okay. Find a word or a phrase. Turn it into a prayer for five minutes. Let's go. Let's go. 